Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dugout Download, an Astros podcast. I'm the Houston Chronicle, Steve Schaefer, and along with me is Astros beat writer Matt Kawahara, and we're on the eve of the World Series, and Matt, the Astros aren't going to be playing in it for the third consecutive year. They made their seventh straight ALCS, but fell short to the Texas Rangers, and now in the aftermath, they're looking for a manager. Yes, Dusty Baker uh, this morning announced officially uh, that he will not be returning as the Astros manager after four seasons, so... Yes, that's that will be, I suppose, uh, on the top of the priority list for the offseason, we'll be finding the next manager uh, for Houston. That, at the press conference today, uh, Jim Crane, the team owner, uh, said that he and general manager Dana Brown will both be involved in the search and that he expects to find somebody fairly quickly. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit different circumstances than the last time they had to hire a manager because uh, that was um, in, in early 2020. I was in the wake of the uh, revelations about the Astro science science stealing scandal um, where Crane fired uh, AJ Hinch and Jeff Luno and had uh, about two weeks before um, hiring Dusty Baker. So there is an opportunity here for a more extensive, more thorough search. Uh, I'm sure they'll sit through the candidates that they uh, will be interested in, in talking to and interviewing. But, uh, but he did say that they expect to, to find somebody before too long. So that will be uh, priority number one. When you think about 2020, I can't imagine a better caretaker to have come in for the Astros than Dusty Baker as things worked themselves out because it was an unprecedented situation. And um, I, I think Dusty could, should be commended for the four years that uh, he gave the Astros, giving them the LCS every year, again, falling short. He always said, if I get one ring, I want two. He didn't quite, he wasn't quite able to accomplish that uh, feat. But I know that after game seven of the ALCS in the post-game news conference, he was kind of just talking about grandkids and hunting dogs and being away from home since February 10th. And you kind of got the idea that this, this is a guy who's made up his mind. It sounds like the Astros probably knew a little bit sooner than Wednesday. Jim Crane made that allusion to, well, we've only had a day on the search, but I think they've known for a little while, haven't they? Well, I think uh, the way that Dusty talked about it today was that he started thinking that this could be his last year, last off season. Um, but it didn't sound like it was, you know, for sure, for sure, until maybe Tuesday when uh, when he actually informed them of his official decision. I mean, I you know there was the there have been a couple of reports that that he'd been telling people um, throughout the year that that this was kind of what his his plan, his intention was. Um, but as far as it being absolute certainty, uh, and for them to to get to the point where they could start looking at, or at least kind of starting to to pull together a list of other candidates. Um, you know, unless they were intending not to bring him back after this season, if you, even if he wanted to come back as he was on a one-year deal, then then probably maybe they hadn't really started actually going into the uh, the search process of it all. Um, but but now that it is official, that's something that they can can get into. Um, and to your point about uh, Dusty, uh, his arrival in 2020, I, I think you know that was I, I wasn't here at that point, obviously, but I, my understanding is that was a large. Uh, aspect of it was just that um you know it would, between his standing in the game and, and the, the way that he is sort of respected around the game um he was seen as kind of the the right or a good fit the right person to come in and uh sort of steer the astros through 
that that sort of turmoil at that at that time um and all the the scrutiny that scrutiny that they were going to have to endure uh on the field particularly and and he even acknowledged today that yeah, because 2020, there there were no fans in the stands when when baseball resumed. Uh, he, he acknowledged that that probably was uh, a, sort of a good thing for them, just because he figured maybe the the extra year would uh, would have feelings subside a little bit for for one fans to get back into the stands. Obviously, you do still. I mean, at that point, there was still plenty of vitriol that uh, was levied at the team, and and there continues to be uh, with certain players, but. Um, but that that was one thing that he mentioned uh, during the news conference today. And I'm sure it's kind of a fascinating aspect of the whole thing when you think about Dusty wanting that ring for so long. And the way things were, if you know, if you look at it from one perspective, if the Astros had not gone through that sign stealing, sign stealing scandal, he probably doesn't have a World Series ring to this day. There'd have been no reason to hire him. And so the way things all work out, it's uh, it's fascinating. He revealed too on. Thursday that he had interviewed for the Phillies job before that season and went to Joe Girardi and then he wound up saying well that turned that the fact he didn't get hired by them turned out to be the one of the best things that ever happened to him so it's, it's interesting how things work out going forward uh, with this search Jim Crane kind of indicated he will be involved with Dana Brown the general manager in the search the Astros do seem to have uh, internal and external candidates who do you see as perhaps being in the mix during the search well it's a lot of names out there. I think a couple of the internal candidates, uh, Joe Spada would obviously be one. I mean, he's been part of the sort of manager interview carousel for the last few years with other organizations. Uh, I believe he was uh, interviewed during the, the last search by the Astros before they interviewed, uh, before they hired Dusty Baker. So I would, um, I would expect that he will be a, a strong candidate. I think um, between, you know, his familiarity with how things work here, um, his familiar familiarity with the players and the personnel uh, i i would i would guess that he would will have a strong case i'm sure they'll look at him closely um another candidate who on the coaching staff the current coaching staff who will could get a look is omar lopez who um he's got the first base coach he has some manager managing um experience both in the minor leagues and uh with team venezuela in the world baseball classic um this past year uh, and then, I, I mean, there are a number of outside candidates, uh, names that you could see the, at least being part of this process. Um, some who are currently sort of have roles around the game. Um, I, I think another name that has been floated out there is uh, Brad Osmus, who is former Angels manager, uh, former Astros catcher, who I believe was also part of the interview process uh, the last time for Houston. Uh, and then it, it, there are a number of names that are kind of regularly have come up in, in manager searches over the last few uh, few cycles. Uh, somebody like uh, Will Venable, um, who's currently the associate manager, I believe is the term with, with the Rangers. Uh, he's sort of the right-hand man of Bruce Bochy. And he's seen as a uh, potential future manager, but you know who knows uh, what the dynamic is there. Uh, I'm sure they'll, uh, it, they made it sound, I think the term that Jim Crane used today was fluid search. I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm sure they'll... Uh, They'll cast a fairly wide net in, in looking at a number of the names available. I think, uh, yeah, you mentioned Espada, and I, I don't, I would think it didn't hurt his chances the way he definitely managed the ninth inning of Game Five because Dusty had been ejected after the brouhaha with Adolis Garcia and Brian Abreu, and in that ninth he pinch hits Diaz for Pena, who gets a single, pinch hits Singleton in the ninth spot from Aldonado, who draws a walk, 
setting up Altuve's home run. Now, he and Dusty were kind of evasive as to who deserved the most credit. So it's like, well, if, if Dusty's calling shots from the clubhouse or something, they don't want to give that away. But, but maybe that didn't hurt a spot. Uh, you know, one of the guys I find intriguing, and I was thinking when we kind of got the word that Dusty was going to be retiring, I'm thinking, you know, Craig Council is out there. Uh, a free agent manager, his contract with the Brewers has expired. He, to me, is an intriguing name. Any thoughts on him? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people see him as kind of the most intriguing name that could be available. Um, He's been linked, obviously, very strongly to the Mets. Uh, I'm sure there's some question about whether he wants to go to the Mets, uh, I think. But yeah, if he's, uh, I, I think it would be, I think it would behoove the Astros, at least even if there is a strong uh, connection there to to at least reach out. I mean, I, he does appear to be sort of the strongest and at least one of the, the highest regarded names that, that could be available out there. And then you look at a number of people who have a lot of experience. I mean, you know, Buck Showalter is out there. If they're, if they're looking for somebody in a similar vein as, as the guy who's just retired or, or uh, Joe Madden, who, you know, hasn't managed uh in a bit and if he's has some interest i mean there there are so many names that uh you know until until you start to whittle them down uh you could you could throw a number of them out there but yeah i think uh i mean to your point about counsel that is somebody that i would expect that they'll at least uh at least reach out to yeah i think the thing that to me about him that is intriguing one he is one consistently in a small market and then you think, well, if he can go somewhere where he's got maybe a few more resources financially and a little more financial backing as far as his team is concerned, maybe he would leave Milwaukee because he's a, a Wisconsin guy. So I think there is an attraction to him being with that club. He's been a great fit with them. Uh, but then you think, well, what if you know if he could go to Houston or New York? I mean, New York's got resources as well, but they're kind of in a they almost look like they're going to be back to rebuilding maybe a little bit in 2024 because this year turned out to kind of be a disaster for them. And one thing I read on council is the fact that one consideration for him is salaries for future managers. And if he wants to get the most he can out of his deal, that might mean leaving Milwaukee in terms of benefiting future managers and getting as big a deal as he can. So that's an intriguing aspect of him. But we've, we've seen him win with modest resources would be interesting to see I, I think he'd be an interesting candidate i think a spot is too uh, don mattingly's another guy who's been thrown out there he's, he's managed the dodgers and the marlins anyway we look at that let's look back a little bit to the american league championship series uh obviously disappointing for the astros had the 3-2 lead coming home and as we saw in the 2019 world series nobody who was the home team could win in that game looking back at those seven games matt i'm just interested in like some of your takeaways as to uh why the Astros couldn't quite get it done? Well, gosh, there was so much that happened in that series. Uh, it's, you know, stepping back and looking at a big picture, I think um, I think one thing you probably look at is the uh, the performances that they got from their starting pitching, uh, particularly from Valdez. I mean, he was viewed coming into the season as, as being uh, sort of the ace, um, the new ace with the departure of Justin Verlander and pitched like it for much of the first half um, and then had a very inconsistent second half and then had three starts to, or his number of starts during the playoffs, uh, four starts during the playoffs that um, were not, uh, were not particularly effective. And, and uh, that was an issue for them. Obviously Christian Javier had um, a couple of good outings before what turned out to be just uh, sort of a, a 
train wreck in, in game seven. Um, there, and I, I suppose you could look at this as sort of, um, sort of a distillation of, of what was an issue for them for a lot of the season was, I mean, going back to last off season where they, uh, they opted against, um, signing any starting pitching depth, bringing in veteran starter or two to bolster their rotation, which ended up becoming an issue uh, when they lost three starters to significant injuries early in the year, had to plug in, uh, plug in a couple of rookies to help them get through uh, both of whom helped them get through. Uh, but then, you know, started to, it seemed like wear down a little bit toward the end of the year. Um, and then obviously you saw both of them come in and pitch in relief in game seven. Uh, and that did seem sort of, uh, I, I, well, I'm sure we'll come to the term it's sort of like a microcosm of, of what was an issue for them all year was just like that lack of, of starting pitching depth or at least, I mean, last year's pitching staff and, and rotations set such a, a standard that probably was not going to be met again this year, but, but it did end up being um, an issue for them. I think down the stretch uh, in the final month. And then, and then again, in the postseason. Um, they, I mean, they did man, they played it to seven games. They got back home with, a chance to win if they could just win one game at home. But as was again, the case for a lot of the year and particularly over the, over the last month, they just could not find a way to win at home. And uh, they gave up a, a bunch of home runs, uh, particularly, I mean, in, in that last game, obviously it got away from them a little bit, but that was an issue you saw where they were allowing more home runs at home than they were hitting. Um, their offense would just go, uh, go stone cold for, for stretches at home, which is not something that you would expect uh, from them. And, and, you know, every time throughout pretty much after every game in that postseason to the point where somebody asked uh, Jose Altuve, I think it was before game five or something like that, where like, hey, are you getting tired of of these questions about what you guys went on the road and, and not at home? And he said, yes, yes, we are get, all getting tired of those questions. But but they kept coming because there was no explanation and they couldn't figure it out. And it ended up derailing their season because they could not find a way to win one game in a seven game ELCS where they had four home games. Um, they could not win one game at home. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of things to, to point out. Um, and I, you know, they, they were, Jordan Alvarez had an incredible ALCS. Um, Altuve was pretty effective, but then they also had a couple of key hitters go Cole Kyle Tucker struggled throughout the postseason, And that was a big, uh, a, a big loss for them, basically, uh, just to not have that presence in the lineup who was so s- kind of consistent for them all year while they were missing Altuve and Alvarez to injuries and, and other guys weren't producing them. And Jose Abreu was going through his difficult year. Tucker was the guy who really kind of was this, this, the stable presence in there, the consistent one that kept them afloat. And then in the postseason, mm-hmm. he just was a non-factor. Um, and that was an issue. And there were a couple other hitters we didn't produce much either. Jeremy Pena struggled. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of different things that kind of contributed to, to this loss. They, they still managed to, to come within one, one win of going back to the World Series, but it fell short. Yeah, I mean, Pena, uh, 160 in the ALCS. He was 4 for 25, 200 overall in the playoffs. Kyle Tucker, 6 for 40 overall in the playoffs, 150. Each of them drove in one run. Uh, and as you say, Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez was just a beast. You know, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with Chuck Howley, but Chuck Howley was an NFL linebacker, actually recently elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, who in won MVP honors in Super Bowl V in a losing effort for the Cowboys to the Colts. And 
I'm not, I have no beef with Adolis Garcia winning MVP. Believe me, five home runs, 15 RBIs in the series. He merited it. But I was thinking, you could make a case for Jordan Alvarez as the MVP of the ALCS. He was 13 for 27, 481 average, 531 on base, 778 slugging. Uh, lefties, righties didn't matter. And in that final game, I mean, he tripled. He, he did about everything he possibly could, but no one man uh, can do it. Look at game seven. Again, uh, almost getting back to Dusty, I, I thought there were some things that we're a bit of a microcosm of the season. And and just curious on your ex. I look at that game and I'm thinking, you know, you've got 27 outs that you're given. And certainly Christian Javier's start could not have been anticipated giving up those three runs in the first inning, falling behind. But, you know, Dusty in a couple of times in that game where, you know, you've got to score some runs to get back in into this, maybe wasted a couple of opportunities, uh, in a similar vein that he's that he's done all season, and I can elaborate, or you might know what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, there were a couple of situations where uh, I think maybe you know, in a game seven, you manage yeah. your you know, you, you would think you manage with urgency, right? It's game seven, and what you uh, saw instead was really more of the 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 pattern, the uh, the demeanor with which Dusty Baker, I think, managed all year and for a lot of his tenure was just to have to kind of not show that urgency and and sort of sit back and, and just kind of have put faith in in what has gotten you to a certain place. Um, I mean, the, the big factor, I think it's start. I mean, the big factor that you point to the game seven is their starter got one out, right? Christian Javier got one out. And left with the uh, the team already in a three zero deficit, and that is something where you know that that's going to be a little bit difficult to overcome. But you know that he brings it, he takes out Javier. I think it was after six batters, uh, brings in Phil Maton. Phil Maton's able to get them out of that first inning, still down three zero. They get one run back. They could have gotten more in the first inning. That would have been big, but they get one run back. Um, and now you're in a position where maybe it, it doesn't, it's not as much of a disaster as it could have been, right? So uh, they go to Hunter Brown for a couple innings. I think he gave up one run over two innings, but still pitched pretty well. And then for the fourth inning, uh, for the fourth inning, he got, uh, he brings in JP France. Um, and JP France has pitched, I think, once since uh, September 23rd or something, basically once in the past month. And I mean, you can look at it two ways, right? You can look at it as it's the fourth inning. Uh, they still have a lot of game to cover. JP France is a starter. So he's somebody who can give them length. Um, but on the other hand, you're still facing a, a deficit that you need to overcome. You know, you need to keep it close and it's game seven. So, you know, if you, if you're not able to keep it close, there's really, I mean, if you're not going to use your leverage relievers uh, that early, then to, to keep a game close, then there might be no chance to use them later in the game when it's if it's gotten away, which obviously in retrospect, it ended up getting away. Um, and I, I mean, it's having JP Ferris go in there to, to start the fourth inning. I, I think that is definitely a, a defensible move. Uh, but you again, you saw sort of maybe the, uh, the lack of urgency by by not having anybody sort of ready. I mean, it took until I believe, I believe it was after Evan Carter's bases loaded double, which uh, I think made the score six to two. That um, at that point Hector Neris got up in the bullpen. And before that, there was nobody warming behind JP France, even as the bases, even even as he loaded the bases. And 
you know, in that in that situation, I think you could argue that that's you got it. You know, you see things starting to teeter a little bit. You see things going off the rails. It would it would make sense to to get somebody up who you figure could get you out of a, a jam like that before things start to go awry. Um, but Hector Neris gets up only after the bases load a double, and then the next hitter, Adolis Garcia, hits the two run single, and then they're down eight to two. And um, uh, they were never, never able to come back from that, um, even though there was another situation I think that you would probably get to also where I think it's, it was the bottom of that inning, the bottom of the fourth, where they get a couple of runners on. They're trailing by six runs. They need offense. But, um, you know, as he's done for, for the majority of, of this year and, and previous years, you know, Martin Maldonado's spot is coming up and, and Dusty Baker let him go up and hit instead of, you know, subbing in Yair Diaz, who's the more potent offensive threat and it, the backup catcher, knowing that that is a situation where you need to score runs. You need to start chipping away at this deficit. But uh, but he sent Maldonado and uh, left Maldonado in to hit. And um, and that ended up, you know, not not getting them much uh, chipping away at that deficit. So, yeah, I think w- what you saw in that game seven, especially in those situations, was uh, was the kind of constant throughout where it was not as much urgency and and over the course of 162 game season they that may that approach may uh may win out um especially when you know you're working with sort of the talent that that this team has um but in that game seven in that microcosm situation then that's probably uh, a, a spot where uh managing with urgency was was maybe called for so um so yeah that that i think you know that was what you saw, but again, it, it really for me went back to the fact that they were playing from behind from the the top of the first inning. Yeah, I even go back to the bottom of the second. Um, they had a runner at second with one out, and Pena uh, strikes out, then Maldonado. And I, I'm even thinking, I mean, Dusty during the series had said fourth innings too early to pinch it for Maldonado, and then the next day he pinch it for him in the fifth. But I'm thinking in this game, you're down to look if it's zero zero, if the asses are ahead, let him hit. But you're not going to have a you cannot guarantee these opportunities, and I'd have pinched it for Maldonado in the second. That's me. As we've said, Dusty's won 2,183 games more than he has for either of us, but um, I just thought that was a little bit, uh, to your point, like you might want a little sense of urgency. It's do or die, and uh, I did think pitching to Garcia uh, with with the second and third in a 6-2 game, he made it 8-2. to two. You kind of felt that might have been the stake in the heart right there. A um, little curious, but what can you do? I guess before we leave, we should look a little bit ahead to next year, and the Astros will have pretty much this team back intact, but there are a few free agents, and just tell us who those are, and, and could we expect any of them back? Yeah, so on the position player side, uh, Martin Maldonado and Michael Brantley uh, are both impending free agents, um, and then a couple of guys, or a few guys, potentially in the bullpen, uh, Ryan Stanek and Phil Maton will be free agents. Uh, Hector Neris can be a free agent if he chooses to decline his uh, $8.5 million player option uh, for 2024, which I think is he's widely expected to do um, because of the he had such a strong season that if he does hit the open market, I think there's a good chance that he gets a multi-year deal. So, um, so probably you know that that's probably a a, a decision that he could he could definitely make. Um, so they they're looking at probably five free agents. Um, and I mean, the core is coming back, right? The core for the of the roster is coming back. I, I, I don't know. I mean, when you look at the all, all the individual cases, uh, I, I, I would, I would say that you know, for them to 
potentially pursue a reunion with Hector Neris uh, is something that they could look into just because he was so effective for them this season. Um, I mean, he's he was for a bullpen that operated without a left-handed reliever for most of the year. Uh, he has the ability to get both left-handers and right-handers out. Um, he was he had arguably the best season of his career, even as he saw a little bit of the velocity dip, but he was kind of able to change his pitch mix a little bit where he was throwing more fastballs, less reliant on the splitter that was his key pitch uh, for so long and, and was able to make that work. So, you know, he's been able to evolve and he was a really key part of their sort of back end bullpen trio. Um, so for, for uh, he's probably their most valuable free agent. I think, you know, looking at the, at Brantley and Maldonado, I mean, there's, if both of those players do end up leaving, that's a big hit to uh, sort of the clubhouse um, and just the level of respect that both of those players command. I mean, just hearing the way that teammates talked about them after game seven and, and the possibility of both leaving. I mean, Mauricio Dubon was taking the uh, the potential uh, departure of Michael Brantley pretty hard. I mean, he talked about how Brantley, like when Brantley is, was trying basically for the entire year to, to recover from his injury, um, he talked to Dubon a lot about sort of the player, the type of player, the type of hitter that Dubon is and can be. Um, and he, I mean, you, it came across very strongly how, how much uh, sort of Mauricio Dubon looks up to Michael Brantley. And I, I would guess that there are uh, to varying degrees, um, similar cases like that throughout the locker room with some of the younger players. And, and I mean, we've, we've gone over the, how the pitching staff uh, and, you know, the pitching staff talks about how, um, the influence that Martin Maldonado has on them, uh, just their comfort level of working with him. But the Astros have Yanner Diaz as sort of the catcher, uh, who is their catcher of the future, who you would assume that future is going to start next year. I I would guess that they will want to have sort of a veteran backup in place um, just because Diaz has not caught for them or caught at the major league level regularly. Um, and so you often see that pairing where if there is a young starting regular or young regular catcher, there will be a, a veteran backup there. Uh, I I don't know if that's a situation where they would consider, you know, bringing Maldonado back as a as a backup. I don't know if that's something that he would be interested in. Um, he did say afterward that, you know, he expressed how much he uh, values being a being a part of the Astros, but didn't say specifically one way or the other if. You know, he wants to come back. If he would come back, is in a, in a reduced role um, or anything like that. I, what you got mostly from the free agents after the impending free agents after Game Seven was less about their uh, their future. I think every I, I don't you know I, you, you hear this and you can you how you can hear guys say it, but I I don't I didn't get the sense that anybody was expecting for their season to end that night. I think everybody was kind of expecting to to move on, and so. Uh, those guys hadn't really given a ton of thought to to what the offseason would look like just because they weren't expecting it to start that soon. Um, Brantley said he would go home and do what he does or do what he has done in previous free agency cycles, which is, you know, talk to his family, talk to his wife and see kind of where they're uh, where they're at, what what makes sense for him. Um, Ryan Stanek and Phil Maton both said they they hadn't really thought about it. The, the loss was still fresh. So. And then Hector Nair said that um, the the option decision was something that he would uh, sort of loop his agent on or even, I don't know, he, he kind of almost described it as deferring to his agent, but I'm sure he'll have some 
you know, some saving as well. So, um, so those are things to be monitoring, uh, after, you know, free agency starts after, after the world series ends a few days after the world series ends, obviously there's the exclusive negotiation, uh, negotiating window for teams to talk to their own free agents before, before they can open up to talk to other teams. So, um, that'll be something to, uh, to keep an eye on as soon as the world series is over. So Matt, looking ahead, we know that the core of this team is going to be back next year, but there are a few free agents. Um, who are they and who might be coming back out of that group? Yeah, so they have uh, four, potentially five players who are set to hit free agency. Um, on the position player side, it's uh, Martin Maldonado and Michael Branley are both impending free agents. Uh, and then in the bullpen, Phil Maton and Ryan Stanek will be free agents. And then Hector Neris uh, could be a free agent if he chooses to decline his $8.5 million player option for 2024, which uh, I think he's pretty widely expected to do. Uh, just given the season that he had, I think um, the the expectation is that he, he'll probably be able to seek a, a, a multi-year deal on the market uh, this, this offseason. So it would probably behoove him to decline that option. So they're looking at probably five, uh, five impending free agents um, of the group. I would say that uh, maybe the likeliest that they could pursue a reunion with is it would be Neris, um, just because of how uh, effectively he he did pitch for them this year, um, and you know he did it in sort of a, a little bit of a different way than maybe he's pitched in the past. Where you know since he's come over, uh, since the Astros acquired him from the Phillies. They've had him go about things a little bit differently where he's pitched more with his fastball. He's used the the splitter that was his primary pitch for a lot of his career um, a little bit less, but uh, but he's shown that he can do that effectively. So he's been able to adapt. Um, and I mean, he, he did pitch so well for them and in a bullpen that uh, operated without a left-hander for a lot of the year. He's a guy who can get both lefty and right-handed hitters out. Uh, was one of those setup guys to get to Ryan Presley. So I think he's somebody that there would at least be, you know, some interest in, in maybe looking at bringing him back. Um, between the Brantley and Maldonado, uh, you know, if if both of both of those guys do end up leaving, um, I mean, the the impact on the clubhouse I think will be pretty significant. I mean, both of those guys are are very respected uh, and clubhouse leader types. Um, I mean, in in the wake of Game Seven in that clubhouse that night, I mean, you could hear with some of the players who were talking about the the possibility of those guys leaving. I mean, the, the one that comes to mind is Mauricio Dubon was asked about Michael Brantley and talked a lot about how, how much of an influence Brantley has been for him. Um, when Brantley was kind of trying to work back from his injury or from his uh, shoulder surgery for a lot of this year, uh, Dubon said he would often talk with Dubon about so what kind of player he is, what kind of hitter he is, what kind of hitter he can be. Um, Dubon said he, you know, aspires to be like, like Michael Brantley. And I think, um, I think there are multiple cases of, you know, to varying degrees around the clubhouse of, of players who feel the same way about both of those guys. And I mean, we've gone over, we've talked about, we've heard about how, uh, how the pitching staff, uh, how much trust the pitching staff has in Martin Maldonado and the way that he's handled them for the past few years. So, uh, I, I mean, looking at their individual cases, uh, the injury history and the injury risk with Brantley is such that um, I, I, I think it would be, you know, it, unless he's open to, you know, potentially, you know, a big uh, reduction in, in whatever the deal would be. I, I just don't know that on the Astros side, uh, it would make a lot of sense for them to pursue a reunion there just because of both the injury risk and, and the fact that they do have some outfield options. And the outfield was fairly crowded for a lot of the season, even when Brantley was hurt. 
Um, so, and, and then with Malzanato, I mean, they do have their, you know, their next, their catcher of the future, which uh, would probably be next year in Yider Diaz. Um, the expectation there and the way that Dana Brown described it at points this year was that, you know, he's, he is the catcher in waiting. Um, and I would, I would expect that he would go into next year as viewed as the primary catcher, but given that he you know, has so little experience, I would assume that they would want to bring in a veteran backup. Um, and I don't know if that, if that is something that they might present uh, to Maldonado or if, or if they would even consider bringing him back as back. I don't know if Martin Maldonado would be open to that. Um, he didn't address that specifically uh, after game seven. He just said that he did say that he valued his time here a lot. Um, and he thinks that the organization knows the way that he feels about the Astros, but I, I don't know. He didn't say if, uh, you know, he'd be open to potentially returning in a reduced role or anything like that. So, um, so I, I don't know what the, uh, what the sort of chances of, of a reunion there are, but I think, you know, the, the expectation is the Astros will go into next year with the Ida Diaz as the, as the primary, primary catcher. So, uh, and then in the bullpen, they, they probably will have a couple of spaces to fill. Um, so we'll kind of see how that all shakes out. Obviously the, Reagency starts a few days after the World Series ends. Uh, there's the exclusive negotiating period uh, between teams and their own free agents before everybody's open to uh, open to talk to everybody. So, uh, so that will be something to keep on, uh, keep an eye on um, as soon as the World Series is over. Right, and after the World Series, I mean, the GM meetings come uh, maybe barely a week after the World Series ends. The winter meetings will be coming up in early December in Nashville, and so um, there'll be plenty of hot stove discussion as uh, the Astros. We'll see how they upgrade the club, and we'll also see who their manager is going to be. And um, it'll be another topic of discussion on our next time we get together on Dugout Download. But we thank you for listening to this edition and throughout the end of the season with Matt and his expertise. We also thank Pirate Audio for their help in the production end of the podcast. And we will be talking to you soon as the Astros uh, head into the offseason, searching for a manager and uh, maybe a couple pieces to add to that roster. I'm Steve Schaefer on behalf of Matt Kalahara. Thanks for listening to Dugout Download.